Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Naked Professors. Uh, except today... It's the Naked Professor, because poor old Matt is, uh, is uh, I mean, I had a phone call about half an hour ago, before, well, half an hour before we were, we were recording this, and the poor chap is not well. So um, I'm on my own, and today we've got Sharu Azadi. Uh, Sharu is someone I met about a month ago um, in a meeting of minds, I guess, and we hit it off. She's a psychologist, a behavioural change specialist, and author of The Kindest Method, um, which is so topical for us because in virtually every podcast we do the topic of kindness comes up and um Sharu's book is effectively saying you've got to be kind to yourself if you're kind to yourself then everything else will flow from there she is an incredible person um it's fascinating for me to be sat opposite a psychologist who's got well i'd say she's got all the tools but in her own words there aren't you know there's no definitive answers for everything um, so we had a fascinating conversation about behavioural change, addiction. Uh, we obviously had Matt and Davina on the, on, the, on the podcast before who talked about addiction. Um, but yeah, it was fascinating for me to be able to sit here, pick the brain of an expert and understand more about why we behave like we do, how we get addicted to things. Um, and yeah, chew the fat, really. Hope you enjoy it. Introducing Sharu Azadi. So, Sharu, you've drawn the short straw today. You've got me on your own. No mat. We're one-on-one. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for How are me. you? It's been pretty overwhelming, I understand, for you the last week. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I've had um, a lot of people contacting me about my book and about my work in general. And so, yeah, it's been very exciting. You're a woman in demand. <laughs> yeah. And is it quite overwhelming? Yeah, it is overwhelming. I think it's been... Um, it becomes difficult to sort of stop and enjoy it without becoming overwhelmed. And I don't want to kind of go into a an avoidance place or to disassociate from what's going on because I am really proud of myself. And, um, and so I'm kind of managing that. But I like it. I mean, I, I love it. So I'm certainly not complaining. I think it's testament to, to some of the brilliant things you, you're doing and your brilliant book and the messages that you're sharing. It's clearly resonating with a lot of people and um, that's hopefully something we're going to tap into today. Thank you. Um, now we met, I'm going to give this conversation some, some context because we met, what, about a month ago probably? Just randomly at, at a kind mm-hmm. of um, a sharing of minds, if you like, wasn't it? And, and um, this is kind of how my world works these days is, is I sit down and in, in, in this space, I get to meet amazing people like you and we get to hit it off and, and um, yeah, we just chatted for a couple of hours and um uh here we here we are finding ourselves doing this podcast together and it's it's lovely for me to have you on this and continue or, or repeat a lot of the conversation we've already had um but what really fascinated me about you is is that you know you're a psychologist and you told me about being an addiction expert um and 
on our podcast already we've had Davina McCall and Matt Willis have talked very publicly about their addictions and um we, we have those conversations we have no real understanding of why they were addicts or what what you know how did this happen why I remember Matt saying um once an addict always an addict and he's just trying to manage it now the best he can and I think what would be really fascinating today to talk to you about is is that right you know how, how are you born an addict are you going to be an addict what is an addict why why does it happen to you you know, it's a really complex area and I feel like if I had the answer for you, then I'd be on the news right now. Well, you probably are <laughs> no. going to be on the news <laughs> no. pretty soon. No, no. You know what? I think um, that question of whether you're recovered or in recovery for the rest of your life um, is something that I talk to a lot of people about, especially when we're talking about the 12 steps and about abstinent recovery. And some people find it more empowering to say that they are essentially powerless and that their lives became unmanageable and as such they're they're taking it one day at a time and i've seen people do extraordinary things that way and that mindset the the beautiful thing about that mindset is that it can translate into all areas of your life and become a real asset to living a, a, a meaningful purposeful life other people like to consider themselves recovered after a certain period of time. And that's what they find more empowering. And in terms of why addiction comes about in the first place, I mean, again, there are so many different schools of thought um, around attachment theory, etc. Did you see Beautiful Boy? No, film I didn't. That came out recently? Some, I've been told I've got to watch it. It's an extraordinary film. And mm. I think um, I was lucky enough to go to this Q&A afterwards and they were discussing addiction. And they said that at this stage the why doesn't really come into it. Because, for example, you have um, such a combination of factors that make people want to avoid, distract from, and escape uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, compounded by the fact that now we're inundated with things that make us feel bad about ourselves. And so we have very we have all different kinds of addicts. And then you throw in there um, the physical dependency element, for example, if in that film it was about uh, crystal meth. And it seemed like this kid who, yeah, had had a couple of problems growing up, really just took a, a super addictive drug over and over and over again until he was in the grips of it. Mm. And so I guess my work is largely concerned with what are we going to do about it today? Okay. As opposed to how did it come about? So the answers still aren't there. You know, there, there isn't a, a, a suggestion that there's no avoidance of it or you're in control of, of if people are definitely going to become an addict. They're not born with a gene that says you're going to be a, an, an addict in some capacity. We don't know any of that. That what we are trying to do is trying to help people once they get there. Full disclosure, I keep thinking that I know because I'm constantly mm. educating myself on different things. The closest I've come to feeling like, wow, I, I really agree with that is um, the work of someone like Gabor Mate, um, who writes on addiction. And I I can really resonate with the things that that he says. But, you know, then I'll, I'll go to a lecture somewhere else and I'll think, gosh, yeah, actually, that sounds really, um, really interesting too. And I guess what I want is for everyone to have access to all these different evidence bases and all these different sources of information and to just feel their way around what resonates with them best. Mm. And I think that is actually, a, you know, I'm finding that all the time now in my coaching 
that there isn't a there's no manual there's no one size fits all read this book and your mind is going to be sorted and, and you're on the highway to success you know different things resonate with different people and all the situations are different in in, in, in many different ways so it's about finding what works for you and what resonates for you and how you feel you can script that into your life almost totally and also realizing that we're never sorted because by saying that we're going to be sorted we're implying that there's something the matter with us now and that's just uh it isn't a mindset that that helps us feel good about ourselves or indeed helps us get stuff done or make challenging shifts in our lives Mm. but on that point though there'll be a lot of people at home going well there is something wrong with me there really is and so, mm-hmm. and, and would you would you challenge that? And so, yeah. there's nothing wrong with any of us. I wish I could. Um, one thing, one gift that I feel I have to give is how many people I've spoken to who think that they're the exception. Right. <laughs> it just can't be possible. Now, I've whether it was when I was a trainer in the NHS doing um, uh, professional development training, or in private practice, or in the workshops at the School of Life, like everybody thinks that they're the exception that yeah everyone else deserves it but not not quite me because i'm i'm a little bit bad because of this or i'm a little bit you're not <laughs> you know you're not speak to any uh counselor therapist coach i'm sure you can agree it's impossible that we're all the exception mm. you know there isn't anything wrong with us and actually i mentioned this on another podcast uh recently if there is something wrong with us then at what stage are we supposed to have decided that that was the case we don't go around telling eight-year-olds there's something wrong with them or 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds. So is it the attitude that it's just not going to help you if you think this, that, that you're different and that you can't therefore be fixed? Then is it the attitude that's the problem? Because, I mean, I'm thinking some, you know, there are a lot of um, challenges out there that, you know, chemical imbalances, for example, that mm. probably do make you a bit different. Oh, of course. We all are going to have to swim against different currents. Don't mm. get me wrong. I'm not saying it's easy. And there will be some people who are more, whether or not you um, you acknowledge the disease model of addiction or not, there will be some people who are um, more likely to become addicts for a range of different internal and external reasons. On but the I, day that they're born or do you think through the, through the experiences that they have? Oh... I'm a believer in nature via nurture. Okay. But I cannot stress enough that I don't want to profess to know about something so complex because I don't know about you, but there are so many mixed messages about everything right now that the one thing that makes me switch off is when someone claims to have all the answers to something really complicated. (laughs) I'm glad you say that. (laughs) There are days when I think I've got this, I know exactly where I'm, and then someone's chucked something else in and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming now. What am I thinking about this and this? And this is is kind of it, isn't it? It's an ongoing path for all of us. And... You know, and, and science conclusively proves something. We're, we're all kind of trying to find our way, and, and, and not everything can be scientifically proved, and it's particularly mm. with human behaviour, right? I mean, you're a behavioural change specialist, but not everything can be scientific. The, 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 can the soul, the spirit, be scientifically tested? Um, and we've all got that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I read a quote recently, um, I think it was Victor Hugo, who said that, that science has the first word on everything and the last word on nothing. Okay. And... I um I'm inclined to really agree with that. Mm. And yeah, you're right. We can't we can't measure a lot of progress that is incredibly important as well. Like I often say I wish that we were all in the habit of keeping emotional CVs the way that we keep 
professional CVs because I have to say, although I'm very proud of my professional accomplishments, I'm much more proud of how I've learned to deal with anxiety. So I wish that the world would <laughs> be more proud of me for that, frankly. <laughs> you know? I, I, we talk about this a lot, actually, but the problem with it is that no one can measure your success against anxiety, can they? No one knew what you started from and no one knows where you've ended up. You can't see it. I mean, I guess you could feel it in some capacity. When I'm t- if I knew you five years ago and I had a conversation and you were very anxious and I have a conversation with you now and you're, and you're really not, it's like, wow. Mm. But I can't see it on your CV. Like you say, like other things you put on your CV, your A-level grades, your university degree, it's there, black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, even what house you've got, what car you drive, it's all there to see. Mm. And so they're the things we go after. And I think this is a lot of a big part of why we miss the whole emotional side because no one can judge it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think in a way, at the risk of plugging, that's what I hope to have done with my book, is to give people um, an opportunity, a a sort of a a visual framework that they can use to say, you know what, two years ago, this is how I was managing being triggered by this. And now this is how I'm managing it. Two years ago, I would have reached for a drink. Now I, I, you know, I breathe in and out 10 times, whatever it is, to see that shift, because I think it's important in terms of giving us true self-esteem. Mm. I I have had to really internal really um what's the word? I've had to really feel my emotional accomplishments and they have fed my self-esteem and they have lent themselves to me making decisions that make me truly authentically happy. I can't say the same for my professional accomplishments although I'm incredibly proud to do what I do and I love it Mm. when it comes to my personal life it's the emotional progress that I've made the spiritual progress etc that has meant that I have better connections with people I'm more boundaried I respect myself I respect my time I can be kind and generous towards others because I'm kind and generous towards myself these are the things that make me feel truly worthy and present and capable um, and I wish that we would measure those things more. I'm with you all the way. And actually, that this is this is really what changed my life, I'd say, in that, you know, I, I say my, my changing point came when I stopped trying to impress other people and I started trying to impress myself. You know, once I started making myself proud, regardless of what everyone else thought, you, that's mm. where my self-esteem came. And that's where all the things you just said started valuing my time. Everything came from that. Yeah. Because suddenly I was like, hey, I, I kind of... I shouldn't say I'm kind of a big deal. Sounds <laughs> so a little bit anchorman. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Without the humour, unfortunately. But, um, you know, that, that was kind of the conversation that I have internally. And, you you know, I'll always, I hope, I will always remain humble. But that's a healthy relationship to have with yourself, mm. to, to be feeling you're doing something that makes you proud and you are being someone who makes you proud. Absolutely. You know, I had so many issues around codependency and needing external validation and... And uh, people always used to call me people pleaser. And there's nothing worse than being a people pleaser and then people going, ugh, so unattractive that you're a people pleaser. And you kind of think, oh, brilliant, what a waste of time trying to please everyone. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, hold on, why don't you just be a people pleaser towards yourself? Why don't yes. you just please yourself all day? That yes. sounds as dodgy as all the self-love stuff <laughs> I ever say. But you know what I mean? Why don't you just please yourself? And put the same amount of effort and consideration into a plan with yourself that you would with someone else. So now if someone says, what are you doing later? And I have a plan with myself, I don't cancel it. I don't Mm. bail on myself. 
What excuse do you use, by the way? Because I'd love to know. What I, I, I feel that sometimes. You just say, no, I don't want to. <laughs> kind of help. I mean, I try to be careful when I tell other people to do this because I'm very aware that I've now surrounded myself with people who love well-being and self-help. <laughs> and also I go, go around promoting this. So actually, for me, I have to say it's relatively easy. I just say, I've got a date with myself. <laughs> I'm looking forward to I it. I like that. I'm going to be stealing yeah. that. Yeah. If any of my friends are listening and I say, I've got a date with myself... <laughs> basically a no I'm not interested <laughs> I think you might get piss taken out of you a little bit but that's the I've thing I've got to have a date with someone it. might as well be with myself <laughs> no I mean I, I totally hear you and I think that, that do you know what that what is it, the power of no right um, I, that, I really struggled with that for a long time I didn't feel like I could say no I said no maybe people wouldn't invite me again and they wouldn't like me mm, so mm. I had to go and do and then I feel anxious about going and do things that I didn't want to do you know the thing that that really helped me with that. This doesn't actually have to do with my job. It's just something that occurred to me in my private life. When I think about the people I want to spend the most time with, it's really got nothing to do with what they've done for me or how often they turned up to things. It's got to do with how they make me feel when I'm in their company. Mm. And usually when someone's cool about me taking care of myself, I want to hang out with them more. Mm. <laughs> so that's worked out really well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm with you all the way on that. Absolutely. And actually, I was going to say... You know, I, I I always grew up with this sense that I didn't I didn't want to love myself because I didn't want to be arrogant. You know, that was my big no no, my number one thing. Like, I, you know, I, I looked up to my dad, and he was absolutely not arrogant, and he was he still is a people pleaser. You know, he wants to from a really loving place. He wants to make everyone else feel comfortable. But I grew up thinking that is the last place I want to be is arrogant, and I think that really hindered me. And like, you know, it's the opposite of what we're just talking about now, but. You know, in the playground, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but in the playground, the ultimate insult you could say to someone is that they love themselves. Mm-hmm. And culturally, I think that's a, something we really need to shift at schoolboy, schoolgirl level, that these people are growing up thinking, God, I want to love myself. I absolutely. I'm really envious. They love themselves. Mm-hmm. Completely switch that on the head. Because that's funny. You talk about the kindness method, which is the title of your book. Fundamentally, that's where you're coming from. Start to be kind to yourself and everything else will follow on from there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think on that thing about loving yourself, um, it was, it was a massive insult. And Mm. yet, when um, when I started off training when I was working in the NHS, I used to, we used to do icebreakers, which is just, I mean, everyone hates icebreakers, but... Before I was experienced and I knew this, I used to go around and the icebreaker that I would use was to get everyone to say one thing they liked about themselves. One thing, anything, and the cringe. <laughs> you could fit, It was like you could feel cringe in the air. And then I would say, okay, what if the person you loved most in the world was sat here and I asked them to say one thing they liked about themselves and they couldn't, they couldn't bring themselves to. And then they look heartbroken. So it's like, well, then why not you? What's so what's so bad about liking yourself? And actually, I think it's... Um, I don't think we can genuinely be there for other people in a real and authentic and consistent way long term until we're being there for ourselves. Because otherwise we're projecting our own stuff onto them. We're resenting them when they're taking up our time. You know, we're not being boundaried with them. We're not protecting ourselves. Kind of like, you know, like putting an oxygen mask on yourself before you can help someone else on a plane, Mm. in my opinion. Um, And this idea of being selfish, I often look up words like selfish in the dictionary. And they're things like self-serving. And I think, in my head, I think, 
oh, that sounds negative because of how I've grown up, but why wouldn't I serve myself? Of course. You know? Totally. And yeah, we have been taught that it's just not cool to love yourself. Um, even I feel like, to some extent, I was just talking to a friend about this, that I'm allowed to come out with this message because I used to be really overweight and I've had all these problems. So I'm allowed to love myself because I've just arrived. Mm. You know, but who knows how long I've got? <laughs> I, I, I hear you on that as well. And I, but is this part of vulnerability? Because I feel that when you're vulnerable and you open up your insecurities or your things you, you, you're, you're not so proud of, then you almost give yourself a license to then love yourself as well because it's like hey i'm just i'm just being honest and i'm not saying i'm winning all the time i'm great at everything i'm just being honest and real and yeah i've got some qualities but also i'm not perfect no. and that's being human i found actually it wasn't until i really owned what i liked about myself that i was ready to hear ways that i could improve so now if, when i get criticized i'm not defensive because I think, well, everything's fine anyway. Like, regardless of whether this is true or not, I'll decide whether I'm going to take it on. But before, I wasn't hearing really useful feedback because it made me defensive, because I was scared, because it, it threw me off kilter. Now, because I know that there's all these ways that I'm cool with myself, regardless, I feel much more open to taking on people's feedback, even if it's negative, mm. and being discerning about whether I'm... I'm going to listen to it or not. And that has been really important. Obviously, when you write a book on this scale, you get, you know, you get feedback. And I've just written my second book and the feedback I got from the first one has really informed the second one. And it's the negative feedback that's been most useful to me in that sense. Not that I'm welcoming it, everyone, just FYI. But do you see what I mean? In that sense, it's like... Totally. But I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have been too triggered by it. It would have made me too upset. But now I'm cool either way. So, you, you, self love gives you armor, doesn't it? If if you if you if you don't love yourself and someone pushes something that you struggle with, then it's it hurts. You know, mm. when you love yourself and you're, you, it gives you this armor. If someone pushes you. Hey, it's their opinion. I know, I know what I'm about. My opinion of myself is way more valuable than your opinion of me when you don't really know me. I was just going to say that. You know, the interesting thing is, I don't know about you, but for many years, when I would ask friends, for example, about advice on anything, family, dating, etc. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If I asked five friends for advice, then I would presume that I had five lots of advice or five lots of opinions to eventually come to a conclusion from. Mine didn't even make it into the pool. I didn't even wait to think about how I felt about it. And so now I think, okay, well, that's five plus one. Mm. And that's that was an enormous shift for me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even ask myself, okay, before I've asked anyone else, what's going to feel most right for you? And of course, over time practicing that, I don't really make any decisions by committee anymore. Mm. It's so interesting. I th- I'm just thinking now, as we have this conversation, you know, we started talking about addiction. And so often, in so many of the conversations we have on this podcast, we get to a point where it's about self-love, self-love and vulnerability. You know, every time, regardless of what the, the challenge is or the problem, it comes back to this is the solution, really. You know, and I almost say self-love or a lack of self-love is at the root of so many of the challenges that go on in relationships, in our own anxiety and and depression, and so many of the difficulties that we have fundamentally comes because we haven't armed ourselves with self-love and we don't love who we are. And it's, you know, I wasn't intending to have a conversation with you today about self-love, and here we are finding ourselves going into that. And so your book, The Kindness Method, is really very much about this. Can we, how, how, people sitting there going, okay, well, this sounds good. I'm going to try and learn to love myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and be kind, kind to myself. Well, how do I do that? Well, there's there's various ways. Um, first of all, the kindness method is essentially draws from all the things that I've seen working in addiction recovery. So I think that people in recovery have an enormous amount to teach the general population about resilience, self-awareness, self-esteem. They are they have a wealth of knowledge, and especially in the fellowships and the in the twelve step steps in the rooms, um, there is so much wisdom that we're all going around paying for and outsourcing which is there for free so what I wanted to do really is to bring that to the mainstream and say that I've not written anything that every person in recovery doesn't already know Mm. Um, and what they do what I have noticed is there are things that help people stay in recovery long term and those are things like working around not feeling guilt shame forgiving yourself having compassion towards yourself and identifying that just because something wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility to deal with. And so that's something that I like to show through the book to say that, and also, you know what, not only kindness towards yourself isn't just great because it feels lovely and, you know, all those things we were talking about. When it comes to changing habits... If you if you were trying to change a habit, right, something difficult, anything at any point in your life, and you set a plan for yourself and it was challenging, but you fell off track and you wanted to get back on track, 
usually people say things to themselves in that moment like oh I'm such a failure I'm so weak-willed why can't I do this just like my teacher said when I was younger core beliefs from childhood etc the sorts of things that make you feel crap and make you tend to want to engage in the behaviors that you're trying to avoid whereas if someone you love came to you and said I've just fallen off track little blip I don't believe in myself what do you think I should do the messages we would give them would be things like, of course you can do it, this is nothing, move forward, don't worry. We would champion them, we'd be a cheerleader for them. So I think the first thing you can do is just turn up the volume and listen in, even if it's something small, like you've locked your cars, your car keys in the car or whatever. Listen in on how you're speaking to yourself and ask yourself, Is I mean, other than the fact that this is a really horrible soundtrack to, to be listening to and I don't deserve it, what's actually going to move me forward most quickly And that is to forgive yourself, to be kind towards yourself and to treat yourself as you would simply the person you love most. Anyone, just pick that person and treat yourself like you would treat them for a whole week or or how you would want them to treat their own bodies and minds for a whole week. And tell me if you don't feel considerably better. Mm. Do you think that people recognise the power of their thoughts in the first place? Because I, I hear that and I'm like, absolutely... But if someone said that to me 10 years ago, I, would, I didn't even really know about the voice in my head. I didn't know how impactful the thoughts that I was having mm. were on everything else going on. I just kind of thought well, that's, that's, that you know, my thoughts were part of me and that was just what's going on. And yeah. I didn't know the effect they had. The thing is, I was the same and I had to find various different ways of listening in. Um, I guess I forget that I am in a bit of an echo chamber uh, working in the area that I work in. So I know a lot about mindfulness, etc. I feel like as a person who never really resonated, it, it early on it didn't resonate with me to sit and do mindful practice in the traditional fashion that we're supposed to sit and be still, etc. What I noticed was that the volume was turned up on my thoughts and the conversation I was having with myself when I was put in a little bit of discomfort. So in a way, my book is a sneaky way of getting people to learn mindfulness through changing a habit. Because once you put yourself in a tiny bit of discomfort, you can tune in and the volume becomes very, very loud, whether it's saying, eat that cake, you need that cake, or you need that cigarette, or you need that drink. At that point, you have an opportunity to, to go, hold on, do I? But it doesn't happen if the status quo is just going. And that's why my book, I like to think, is a lot more than just change something the first thing you decide to change habit wise using my book is just the thing that teaches you to begin to be mindful and listen in then after that that's a skill as you well know um can be translated into literally every single part of your life until every moment is one of presence i'm not saying i'm the dalai lama or anything but (laughs) i'm certainly you know that's the dream present yeah exactly of course yeah and so actually i want to ask you because this is really interesting for me when I look back, you know, I, I said before that my life changed when I stopped trying to impress everyone else and I started trying to impress myself. So so for me, I started to take action that made me proud of who I, who I was, regardless of what everyone else thought. I did things and then it was doing those things that then changed my thoughts. Now, is that the common way to do it? Because I hear a lot of people say, hey, you don't need to do anything. You know, we talked about it before. It's already within you. So can you just change your thoughts and then your actions will follow? 
you know, for me, as I say, changing the actions are what helped change my, my mindset because I started to prove myself. I started to see me, myself do these things and then I could have more positive conversations. Hey, you've done that, Ben. Well done. I know it's challenging, it's difficult, mm. but I'm pretty proud of you. And I looked myself in the mirror at the end of the day, well done for achieving that. And the conversation started to get better. Do you know what I mean? Rather yeah. than, and which way, you know, is there a way or just whatever works? It depends on the feelings. I think what we've left out there with the actions and the thoughts is the feelings. Okay. So it depends, from my experience, how easy that is, whether you can actually find the strength to even get up and engage in those actions is entirely dependent on how things are looking for you internally and externally. So often when people ask me about um, things like this, I wish I had a clean answer for them. But again, I have to go back to that thing. Anyone who's got a clean answer about human beings is talking shit. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's just it's you can't. Own, right? You can't. And we're constantly changing anyway. Yeah. And um, we don't know that much about so much. Mm. But I would say, yeah, a lot of the time it's about activating behavior and being okay with feeling differently, whether or not you know you're going to feel better or worse. Yeah. And that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. So it, it, I guess I, I had the strength to, to take some actions that, that led me to then feel proud of myself that then led to better conversation and, and what have you. It all went mm. from there. But for someone else, they might not have the strength. So they might need to self-talk to say, to change the, the, the feelings that they had inside of them to give themselves some kind of confidence and belief that they could then take the action and then they take the action and then that comes back to they feel better as a result of taking the action. Yeah, absolutely. And then it... it it becomes a loop, really, that f that that feeds itself. I would say, though, you know, I don't think I don't want to underestimate the how embedded and ingrained a lot of these core beliefs that we have are about ourselves, and it's it's a lot of work to start undoing them and questioning them and challenging them. And so, what I tell people usually is just debate them in the short term. You know, if you feel incapable. Um, if you feel weaker than someone else, yes, absolutely engage in actions that might counter that um, belief. But I think more than anything, listen in and start debating and saying, hold on, am I being a bit harsh? Or is this even true? Is this fair? Be like discerning about what you're listening to. And then you can start challenging it. Would I treat someone else like this? Like, for example, recently I've been dropping the ball a little bit more than I would normally um, because I've been inundated with work. Mm. And I missed a call with someone quite important the other day. Oh, we're all important, but you know what I mean. Mm. And I, um, I was getting ready to really beat myself up about it because it did have negative repercussions. It was something that was not cool. Um, and then after about five or ten minutes of beating myself up about it, I was like, okay, hold on. What would you tell someone else? You made a mistake. It's not helping you to beat yourself up about it. A few years ago, what I would have done is send... 15 emails to that person <laughs> apologizing for my existence essentially apologizing for not being perfect for every minute of every day and now I realize that I would never expect that from someone else so even now I'm listening in on the conversation and so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the trigger the emotional trigger is still there to, to a large extent and I don't want people to think that it's as easy as just taking it away but you can decide to move forward with your actions despite it and that in itself should start to bring about a different conversation with yourself over time. Okay, wow, that makes so much sense, of course. And what I want to also talk to you about, because what I, I really 
what I love to see in people is it's easy to talk to talk the talk and to say these things but what's really inspirational is to then see people actually really living that and I remember we had a conversation we sat down and we talked about uh, part of your self-love regime was on your Sunday nights <laughs> and you recognise something this is almost I love this because it's so unique and it's so authentic right but you love singing mm-hmm. you're, not the, you're not the best singer Mm-mm. I haven't heard you that's not my judgement in your own words <laughs> but you love to do it so Sunday nights yeah. Off you go, take yourself to the karaoke on your own, you get your own booth, and you just sing mm-hmm. because it's something you love to do. Yeah, it's wicked. And that's this is a form of self care, self love. What do we call it? For me, it, in, it initially began because um, I must have taught, yeah, you know about this. I've um, I lost a, a lot of weight um, and about now about eight and a half stone. And after a lifetime of yo-yo dieting, and it wasn't until I I started using the kinds of methods that I have in the kindness method that I started identifying the times when I was most likely to binge, essentially. And after a pretty nasty breakup many years ago, uh, I identified that was Sunday night, especially in the winter. And I think a lot of people can relate to the Sunday night blues, you know, where you want to comfort yourself with whatever you can do. Um, I started like... I would go to different things. Like I went to like breathing this and cinema and all sorts of things. I was trying it out. And then eventually I thought, what really makes you not notice that time is passing? And the last thing I remember that really did that was um, singing. And so I uh, I just went to the karaoke <laughs> I went to the karaoke booth and asked for one one microphone because actually there's this place on Brick. Anyway, I shouldn't be advertising <laughs> random places because people are going to move in on my spot. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, yeah. you have people joining no, you. No, it's, it's not nowhere. Really your time. It doesn't exist. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just went there and I just had a sing and it was great. I just sit there. Sometimes I get myself a cocktail and I just have a nice sing and um, it was lovely and and by the time it was over i was out of a high risk situation so you know we use in addiction we have various different concepts like mindfulness based relapse prevention and um urge surfing where you kind of do a body scan meditation essentially and you watch the fact that urges and cravings do pass and for me that was my version of meditation i was busy doing something else while my body calmed down um, I now do that in other ways too. You know, I exercise, you know, but at that time I was so overweight that exercise actually made me less motivated because it made me in- insecure to see like mirrors everywhere and I was always out of breath and I thought I was going to die. My heart was pumping so um, so much and my, you know, your feet hurt and your ankles hurt and I think people really underestimate what it takes for a really, really heavy person who's never done exercise to um, to get fit. Um, and so at that time, I needed things that were gentle and enjoyable and didn't require much from me other than joy. And uh, singing was my thing. That's amazing. Thanks. I love I love this because I think we've all got an authentic energy inside of us that loves doing. There's so many things out there in the world that there's so many opportunities and, and people I don't you know, don't know what I don't do. And they don't do any of these these sort of secret passions that they have they get lost because i think it'd be very easy to sit there on the sofa and if you say to you you'd have a conversation with yourself should i go to a karaoke bar on my own and, and for two hours and, and sing because i love singing you're like don't be an idiot like what people think you're crazy if you did mm. that you know you'd have that conversation the majority of people know you've got over that conversation but i think there's people out there probably listening to this who go 
I'd love to go to a karaoke bar. And the chances of them doing it, probably not, because they're taught themselves out of it. Mm. I think it's so important um, that we embrace this energy that we have inside of us that takes us. You had this energy that loves singing, and you were brave enough to shut up down the voice in your head that said it would be a bit crazy to go and do this singing on your own and said my soul wants to i love singing i want to go and do this regardless of what anyone thinks of me i'm going to go and do it Mm. um i did a workshop yesterday and and someone put their hand up and and said um it was about healthy bodies and they said how do you get into exercise if you know you're holding emotional scarring from from when you're young because you never got picked at school and um you know it, it hurts around the whole exercise thing it's not my bag and, and it hurts me how can i get into exercise and there were all sorts of different answers from the panel and um my answer was look we've all got a burning energy inside of us for different for something for different things um it doesn't have to be exercise it doesn't. You don't have to be first picked for the football game or the tennis match or whatever. That that's not your bag. Maybe if you go and sing, you'll be first picked singing. Maybe if you play the piano, you'll be first picked playing the piano. I know if I was, I was picked pretty early in the sports games. But if I had to play the guitar or the piano, I'd be last picked. Mm. I, it's really important to us all. I think we don't need validation just because something's common and popular. And if we do it, people go, it's great you're doing that. Mm. What's your energy? What What do you want? Who do you want to be? Where are the things that you want to... What are the paths you want to follow? Who do you want to be? Because also the other thing is when you go and do those things, you have this amazing effect of meeting other kind of crazy people in the same space as you. Exactly. Well, look at us today. Uh, exactly. But I think um, to some extent too, it's important to remember that even if, say, you wanted to get into exercise, like me, I've always wanted to get into exercise, and now I truly am one of those. I heard myself the other day get annoyed that too many people have flooded into my spinning class in January. If you told me I was going to be that person a few years ago, I would have slapped you and said, like, how dare you call me that person? So in all the cliched ways that annoying people <laughs> love to exercise, I'm on board now. That said... I wouldn't have got to a place where I felt that I could go through the discomfort of exercise, of becoming good at exercise, if I didn't believe in myself already because I'd gone and committed to and engaged in things that I could enjoy that were easier for me and gave me joy previously. So actually they became a stepping stone to doing the more difficult things for me. So going to the karaoke bar was it was helped you on your exercise exactly. journey? Exactly, and also things like um, waiting half an hour to see whether I was really hungry or whether I was just being triggered before I ate a chocolate bar or whatever has also that kind of thinking has also lent itself to um, the kind of physical discomfort that I used to think was me dying, <laughs> and now I realise is just a natural part of building muscle or. Um, making your lungs healthier, etc. So I, I just wasn't used to it. I just never did any, I can't stress enough, I never did any exercise. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I started noticing that I can surprise myself and I am capable and there are things that I never thought I could do that I can do that I just threw exercise in there. Mm. That's really important, I think. I, it makes me think of my mum, actually, because I always tease her. She's never st- stepped foot into a gym in her life. She does a lot of walking. And, it, you know, for me, she, she's great at art and she's very cultural and she loves, you know, walk on the seafront, chatting with her friends is great. And, and she loves that. And I'm like, she went and, and, and tried to join this exercise bandwagon. And, well, I mean, she's 74 now, so I mean, it's not going to happen. But, you know, it's not, it's not her. It's not going to happen. We're just because it's popular, just because it's seen healthy to go to the gym. What's your energy? What's your fire? 
require you know maybe it, it will come maybe in time you will end up loving just like you did you will love and end up loving exercise mm. but you don't have to just because it seems to be popular and the thing to do yeah. um, i absolutely agree because it won't last you're the person who has to spend 24 hours a day with yourself yeah you know i think it's definitely worth as as one of my good friends says you know what would you do if you couldn't take a picture of it <laughs> totally i think that's a good question to ask go ourselves. to the karaoke bar and sing yeah, for two hours exactly have you got any other karaoke similar experiences what of things i do yeah i i go walking in safe places at night without my phone with an ipod which i really really enjoy in built-up parts of town. Because when I was a kid, I always wanted to live in London and be in the middle of all the hustle and bustle. So now what I do is, uh, yeah, sometimes really late at night. I mean, like three o'clock in the morning or something. I pretend I'm Louis Theroux, put on my headphones, <laughs> listen to my iPod and just stroll around town. Watch, listen to music? Yeah. Why, why do you do that? Just, you know, I have quite a rebellious sort of naughty streak in me and I keep finding ways that as an adult woman I can do, I can um, uh, I can embrace that in a way that is not um, harmful or illegal or, you know. Mm. So that's one of them. I like walking at night, especially in the summer. As a woman, it's a little bit difficult to walk in the places I want to. In an ideal world, I'd walk down the canal, if I'm honest. Um, by my by my place but I certainly wouldn't dream of doing that but yeah sometimes I just get up in the night and it's like my little secret with myself well not not anymore mm. it's the first time I've said that out loud um, but, but yeah it's it just lovely I do it because it just makes me feel good I don't even really think about what why anymore because I'm so now in touch I used to be so led by how I thought and now I'm almost entirely led by how I feel oh. and it's a lot easier Yes. It's just, there's a yes or no answer when you ask yourself, do I want to do this? I'm not saying you should only do things you want to do in that moment, but at least you know how you feel about it. I didn't know how I felt about anything a few years ago um, at all because it, I was all in my head. I was all thinking about how I would be perceived and whether it was the right thing to say or how much fire I would come under for a comment or whatever. And now I just think... How you feel is telling you, you know, when you have like a craving or an alert, I tell my clients who want to deal with impulse control, um, how you feel is an alert. It's not a command. You know, you can listen in on your body. It's telling you stuff and that's okay. Um, and that has really transformed the way that I make decisions now. Okay. Yeah, I love that, how you feel rather than how you think. And it's definitely how I've tried to live because I was hugely in my head. I think what people struggle to, to, where people struggle to get to with this is differentiating between what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Because you often think about what you're feeling, right? Would that, that make sense? Is that how, I, this is interpret, down to interpretation again, I'd say. But how, is there a way for you, a clear differentiation, don't use that word again, um, of, of, of recognising a feeling rather than a thought for you? I started by clocking the things that made time pass really quickly, the people or the activities that made time not matter to me. Because I really had a tough time making that distinction. I don't think it's easy at all. It's an important one, though, I it's think. It's really hard, yeah. yeah. And you have to be okay with what you find out. <laughs> that's the other thing like Is it's it quite scary yeah it's quite scary if all of a sudden you realize oh 
all my friends make me feel like crap. I'm in a situation, you know? Not that that's what I found out, but certainly a lot of my clients have. But at the same time, wouldn't you rather find that out than just keep feeling it? Well, I would, but I can understand why a lot of other people would find that incredibly scary. This is why it's a tough journey to go on, right? Yeah, it's incredibly tough. It's incredible. But the thing is, too, you know, we were talking about um, feeling accomplished and the emotional CV thing. That in itself... And the fact that that hasn't been easy is one thing that's really fed my self-esteem as well. Because you've overcome it? Because it was so hard, yeah. It was mm. so hard to be honest with myself about what I liked. Because some of the things I like aren't cool. <laughs> Most of the things I like aren't cool, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, so do you, do, you, do you listen to Brene Brown much? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so have you heard her talk about being cool? Mm-mm. so she's got she's i love this she's on a real mission against cool okay. um well i've decided she's on a real mission against cool she really just made a couple of fleeting comments about cool but for her <laughs> being cool is unvulnerable and and being nerdy or whatever your own geeky kind of lame hero lame whatever <laughs> you want to call it is that's vulnerability you know and being cool is inauthentic usually and being your geeky, nerdy, lame, whatever you want to call it, your real self, is authentic. That's that's you. Mm. And there's no doubt that people connect much more with the authentic version of you than the inauthentic, i.e. the nerdy, geeky one, much more than the, 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 the cool one. Yeah, totally. I can't tell you, like, almost all of the positive feedback that I get back is from people who um, who tell me that basically telling me that i sound like a real person it sounds like you can actually i can do these things because it appears that you have a pretty normal life and have gone through pretty similar struggles and continue to i don't profess to be um i don't profess to be that much of an expert you know i i really just want to give people tools and hand them over i don't profess to have come up with them you know this is the thing i think when you just say this is who i am and i'm trying my best people are People are fine with it. <laughs> it's completely. It's but they, they always, this is vulnerability again. This, but it's honest. This is real. This is just me. And then people trust in you and they see you and they hear you and they can relate to you. And that's powerful. Like just as powerful as having all the knowledge in the world. In fact, way more powerful than having all the knowledge in the world, but not being able to share it in a relatable way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also being able to share it in a in a realistic way, you know, like... I think you can put, certainly working in self-help, I often feel under a lot of pressure to be, like I went to McDonald's the other day <laughs> and I thought, oh no, you've got quite a bit of press recently. <laughs> you need to read your you own book. Caught in McDonald's. <laughs> but that's the thing. If I read my own book, what I would learn is that that's absolutely fine. Of course. This is, this is what course. I mean. And so I come up against a lot of that where basically I'm just saying to everyone, do whatever the hell you like. Just do it because you meant to do it. You know, in um, coming back to the 12 steps again, because I've just got a lot of time for that as a concept um it's oh god i forgot what i was gonna say but if you really when you say that do whatever the hell you really want do you really mean that because i'm like i i'm the opposite i live by the philosophy of do what you do don't sacrifice what you want most for what you want now okay so a lot of the time doing what the hell i want is what i want right now I but think yeah. I know what I want right now isn't serving me for my best. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm glad that you clarified that actually because that's exactly what I'm pushing. What you've just said. So a lot of the what I mean is set your own goals. So I've got clients, for example, who want to drink less alcohol. 
And they come up against people who say, you need to stop altogether. And I would, I would argue that that's up to them. And that if they want to believe that they can do that, then they absolutely can. The thing that you were talking about there, I completely agree with. So with the kindness method, a lot of people presume that what I mean by kindness is do whatever the hell you like yes. at any moment. So yeah. I'm glad you asked me that. What I think kindness is, is believing that when it comes to changing habits, is believing that you deserve to achieve your more ambitious goals. And so it's about shifting the um, the concentration from short-term relief to long-term meaningful rewards. So if you think of someone who's like training for a marathon, say, and they wake up and their feet are covered in splinters and um, it's raining and they still go out, you don't think that's a person who's being unkind to themselves. On the contrary, you think, God, that's a person who really really cares about their they're body. Yeah, yeah, they're on it. Um, and so I think it's about shifting it to how do I want to feel tomorrow? Yes. And telling yourself that actually, I don't always need immediate comfort. My body will sort itself out if I give it a chance. Yeah. Um, and trusting in that and doing it over and over and over again. So I guess, yeah, what I mean is that people should be free to set their own goals. I often tell people... Um, when I was really, really overweight, I used to go to the doctor and every single time I got warned about diabetes and heart disease. Every single time. And I've got to be honest with you, it was not um, the fear of getting those things that helped me lose weight. It was thinking I would have a better sex life. It was wanting to dress in certain ways. I mentioned the other day, it was I had this thing in my head where I wanted to sit on a beach and have lunch in a swimming costume and feel cool about it. And these are things that were really specific to me. Those are the things that woke me up when I hadn't lost an ounce in weeks and kept me going, not diabetes. Now, I'm not saying diabetes isn't important. I'm just saying, you know, whatever gets you there. I think a lot of the time we have to really own what our motivations are. Get connected to them. Yeah, Exactly, and be cool with it. You don't even have to tell anyone. Just know it yourself mm. why you're doing it. I don't think most people know themselves very well. You know, I don't think they know that they, they don't they, they don't check in. They don't understand what their their biggest priorities are. They don't understand what the big picture is. They live. You know, there's a big confusion for me because there is this very much this wave of you know live in the present moment. You know, be present, and you only live once, and all this stuff, and that's the way to live. You know, and all of that stuff leads you, or pe in people's interpretation, leads you to do what you want now, not what you want most. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's that's a really dangerous way to live for me because you'll end up just keep the, this massive highs and lows. You're getting the highs from the fix that you're getting. I'm living right now, but then when that fix is done, you sink back to your natural space, which is empty without it because you're not doing what you really want most. Yeah, but I guess. I guess that's why some people, again, going back to addiction recovery, because these are the people I revere <laughs> most, um, that's why some people say that it was such a blessing that their lives became unmanageable, because it was the first time that they really thought about what they want. They say, like, you can't build yourself up until you've been truly broken. You don't get the opportunity when you're plodding along and, the, you know, the status quo is, that is, is as it is, that we don't really have a framework 
in society that says, okay, would well, you want to stop and check in and make sure this person you're with is the same person you wanted to be with five years ago? Or do you want to check in and make sure you still want to live this way? And it's we get we get lost in it and before we know it yeah we don't recognize the decisions we would make and you look at the people who do know exactly what they're doing and they tend to be the people who've suffered trauma they, they tend to be the people who've hit a wall somewhere and they've had to start again and that, that becomes a beautiful gift to them you know we talk about post-traumatic growth and um you know that that thing that's been going around f- for years about in japanese culture that they mend something that's that's broken with with liquid gold to demonstrate that it's more beautiful for yeah. having been broken. Yeah, you know. So these are things, and in addiction recovery, we have this saying "better than well," um, which means that once you've, it essentially means that once you're in long term recovery, you don't just go back to being okay. You go back to being better than you ever would have been otherwise because of what you've had to learn about yourself and the decisions you've been forced to make about what's important to you and what your values are and how your behavior is going to align with your valued life direction. Mm. So was that thing for you? Have you, did you have that thing? And was that thing that you wanted to change your weight? Well, uh, sorry, what, what that, as in that, that, that moment of, of you needed to find change. You know, you went mm-hmm. to that, that rock bottom. I mean, it wasn't rock bottom, but, you know, everything you just said there in terms of the, you know, the breaking, mm-hmm. becoming the beautiful moment. Was there a breaking moment for you? Was that, the, the, Or was it just because you were always in the career of, of understanding human behaviour? And, no, and no, not at all. I think I, I have attracted friends who really know who they are. Okay. And I saw them being brave and making their own decisions and pushing back against anything that didn't work for them and being boundaried and I respected it um, and I just wasn't the same and I wanted to be sure. so I started again <laughs> yeah. and I thought okay if if no one told me what what cool way to spend the day was what would I choose to do what do I like um, how often do I say no how often, you know, these are the questions that I started asking myself. And it is because in a way, I felt like I got to a point where I thought I've spent my whole 20s with the same insecurities I had when I was 12. And something's got to change. Right. It was getting that relationship with yourself. It was it was learning to live with how you felt rather than what you were thinking. Yeah. And being cool with it and then eventually being really proud of it. Yes. That's amazing. And so we, we always, um, one question that we always ask everyone, and I don't really know how I'm going to ask actually this to you, but <laughs> because you scary. often, no, no, not at all. It's the opposite of scary, actually. But okay. um, a lot of our guests have, been, have, have had a, a traumatic experience. So there's a reason why they're sitting in the chair with us, talking to us. And we always ask them what, what they would say to themselves if they could go back like now. What would they say to themselves now if they could go back to that, that point of trauma? Um, and most people say that you know everything will be all right. You know, don't you don't need to suffer too much in this space. Mm. It is going to be all right because obviously they're sitting in this seat now and and they're all right. And actually, they've most of them have had built amazing careers. But if you, I guess, from an expert's perspective now, you know, is there is there a bit of advice that you could, you could say to yourself when you, at the beginning of your journey that were kind of the, the key aspect of your route ahead, if you like. Absolutely. I would say your body will make you feel better again if you just wait. (laughs) I used to think when I felt sad, first of all, that it was going to last forever. 
I was always catastrophizing. And also I thought that I had to put something in place immediately to fix how I was feeling. And what I've learned as an adult woman is that sometimes you just got to go to bed, wake up, do all the right things, drink water, get some air. There is no one big fix. And eventually your body will just feel happy. And those moments will catch you, not when they're supposed to, not at graduations or, you know, not when they're not when the world tells you that they should, but randomly when you're sat on a bench and a song you like comes on or, you know, they will find you. You don't need to push it. What's for you is looking for you. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thanks. Come connected with yourself. Feel, learn to feel. What's inside? Yeah. Who are you? And there's nothing wrong with you. Nothing no. wrong with any of us. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been on. on I guess um, you know we haven't had an expert really here before, and I, I really hope that we've provided something a little bit different today with, in, in speaking to you because there's. Like you say, there's no definitive answers and everyone's got to find their own path. But the education that you share and the success that you've had in your own life in, in embodying these things and um, being vulnerable enough to go on that journey, you know, I'm sure is a huge inspiration to everyone. So just thank you for being here and for sharing. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there we have it. The Naked Professor on his own. Um, I hope we all enjoyed that. It was a new experience for me. Do you know what? In many ways, I'm going to sound selfish now, but I quite liked just having the conversation all to myself. I love being able to pick the brain uh, of Sheru. She's got an incredible mind. Uh, it's fascinating to hear all the information that she's got inside of her. Fascinating to hear that the journey she's been on herself. She's actually acted all this stuff out herself. Um, she's so topical right now with all the information she's got. She's just brimming with info. Um, and it was a pleasure for me to be able to sit there and just pick her brain and, and share it with you guys. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Uh, we're on the socials with um, The Naked Professors on Instagram and TMP Podcast on Twitter. And I don't think I need to say anything more. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed it all. Uh, next podcast will be out on Tuesday. So thank you everyone for, for tuning in. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. <laughs>